0: Hello and welcome to Minted Dialogue, episode number 206. Today is Sunday the 31st of July 2016, and this interview is with Simon Burridge, former CEO of Virgin Games, once the right-hand man to Sir Richard Branson, and with a very meaty history in agencies, notably at JWT. Simon is now working on a very new kind of gaming offer that is about to be launched. Find out more about that game, as well as on his take on what it takes to make great brands today. The role of personal branding for executives, and the challenges for agencies in today's multi channel world. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's M Y N D S E T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. And enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minta Dialogue. Today, in my office in sunny London, today, sunny London, Simon Burridge. Uh, Simon, we met in Amsterdam at the iGaming conference. So tell us who you are and what's your mindset.
1: Um, who am I? That's a, a good question. Um, I'm Simon Burridge. I'm chief executive of PlayZula, which is a new gaming startup which will uh, be launching in August in time for the football season. Um, my background is I worked for Richard Branson for a long while, uh, set up Virgin Games, CEO of the People's Lottery, and before that, my background was in advertising, where I worked for Jay Thompson for a long time and ran various agencies um and my mindset um despite all of that is uh, relatively positive um i think what's very interesting both in the world of communication and in the world of ideas and the world of technology how things uh keep on having to regenerate themselves so um i'm very much in the mindset of regeneration love that simon so working with richard branson what was that like uh that was fantastic i mean he's a he's a really lovely man um and he lets you get on with it. But he is the one who always asks you the most difficult questions. Mm. Like that. Uh, in, introspective or difficult for business? No, the, the questions you need to know the answer to in order to pursue your business. Mm. Um, the ones that are so obvious, it's quite easy to escape over. But he absolutely nails it. So uh, you have to be very sharp. But he's, the most, uh, he's very warm. He's very generous. Uh, and he's an exciting guy to be around, mm. actually.
0: Things happen around them. So um, going back to your JWT days in certain regards in terms of roots, uh, you and I are passionate about branding, work in that area. and We've seen, obviously, just a lot of change since I like, call it the Mad Men days. How would you describe the, the art of branding today and
1: why and how it's changed? Well, um, I mean, there are lots of ways that it's changed, but I think the um, the key thing about branding is it's exactly the same um, in the sense that Products are what have been owned by manufacturers or service industries. Brands have been what have been bought by consumers. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't changed. What has changed in the way that the, the, the brands now have to develop is that the the points of access are very different. You've got social media. You've got things that happen. You've got the technology, which means that people can interact with your brand in so many ways that were just not conceivable uh, way back when in the Mad Men days, um, so I think they, those are the challenges. But the principle of branding is that your brand should be like a stick of rock; you can break it anywhere, and the message that it's giving is the same.
0: So, but, uh, so just to push back a little bit, in, in, so if it's being bought by the consumers, that in the past the brands didn't often think of it as something that the consumers owned. They tended to want to control it. Do you think that has changed or should have changed? Or actually, that's a wrong assessment of the past?
1: To some extent, it's it's the the wrong assessment of the past. I mean, certainly in the old days, um, advertising and marketing was about helping the manufacturer sell. And now it's much more about helping the consumer buy. But if, for example, you take uh, the OXO cube, I mean, the chicken cube has 2% chicken content, The rest is monosodium glutamate, and yeast. Um, And yet out of that sort of rather unattractive square little thing, um, it was able to create a brand which just spoke to family values, spoke to families being together, families eating together, families. And that made OXO much more interesting than a small little cube of flavor. Yeah, the brand was much bigger than the cube. When when we look at the, the notion of
0: this rock this brand which is or at least the brand dna if you will is, is is found where within the rock are there parts of the organization or corporation that are hidden behind the rock if you will or or not part of it or well, does it really include everything
1: it's not the rock as in as in a sort of boulder it's the stick of rock which is you know you buy it by seasides um everything is is sort of is potentially hidden i mean what a brand does it's the brand is the consumer's idea of the product and the associated benefits and the associated imagery and feelings and emotions that, that come from it, which make you... I mean, it used to be uh, way back when Purcell was all about mums. Ariel was all about the most effective chemical formula for getting clean. And they're both entirely legitimate positions, but lots... Lots get obscured by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but those were the aims and those were the goals. And it absolutely manifested the way in which the communications were structured, the way in which the brands were presented, and the way um, the way mothers, housewives, users of the product felt about it.
0: So something, Simon, that I have maintained in my past is that branding as your piece of stick actually can go right on down into the finance department. It can, it can be... Reviewed and found in the P&L, it can be looked at in how all the personnel are living, even if they're not consumer-facing. That's something that I have maintained. Do you believe that's possible and or, or desirable?
1: Uh, I think it is possible. I think it is, and I also think it is desirable. I um, mean, having worked at Virgin for so long, I right. mean, you know, I mean, Virgin as a brand is effectively an attitude, and it's effectively Richard's attitude. Mm. And, you know, so what would Richard have done if he was in the account well actually no it's probably not a good example, but <laughs> but <what laughs> be careful. <laughs> but but it is about everything is possible. Things don't have to you know, things can be fun, things uh, are about value, about doing things efficiently. Um, it's, it's a whole host of things which which absolutely translate from particularly things like customer service, through finance, through uh, even the, the people writing code. You know. What we wanted to, to create at Virgin Games was a user experience that, that uh, Richard would have been proud of. Talking about code, I don't know
0: if you saw, but the Guardian... Uh, change their code behind the wall of the Guardian, where they actually spoke to other coders in the code behind it, and like I think that that would be a lovely zone for some brands to go into.
1: Absolutely, I didn't know that, but uh, yes, no, I think that would be. Uh...
0: All right. So, in 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 the so in the case of Virgin, we have a brand; it's a mega brand that is incarnated by the founder, the CEO, and so on, and then it's split off into different affiliates, and of course they get sold. That sort of is a different story. For a lot of other major conglomerates, there isn't a founder who's still present, and the brand that might be a, an aerial is owned by a corporate. So where to the extent that they're in a corporate environment, we've got a lot of mixed or synergistic back offices. So the ability for you to express an aerial in the PL or express an aerial in the finance department is moot because that finance department is being shared by 14 other brands so how do you see that playing down in terms of creating that stick of of uh piece of the uh, the rock uh within brands like that or in a larger conglomerate environment
1: i think you have to look at it in you know where you've got a huge holding company with lots of disparate brands which have on sort of face value no obvious interconnection then you you know you have to build the brand around the product Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not about, you know, Procter & Gamble, it's not about uh, Unilever. Unilever or whatever, because they are, but but Unile- Unilever and Procter & Gamble must stand for something on their own. And that is what you try and inculcate throughout the company for efficiency, for good marketing, for uh, the ability to identify opportunities, to think quickly on your feet, um, Whereas once you get down to the individual brand, it's really important to strip it down to what it stands for, what are its values. Um, not to look at it exactly as it's like, if it, as if it were a person, but very much look, as though it, look at it as though it has human characteristics.
0: All right, so in that case then, is, are those types of brands that are housed by large conglomerates somewhat handicapped by the fact that they are large conglomerate, as opposed to a a singular brand run by a singular person throughout the organization.
1: I don't think they're necessarily handicapped. I just think it's a different way of doing it. I mean a lot of brands which are dominated by the founder, if you like, and their values. I mean Virgin's a fantastically successful example. Uh, Gerald Ratner and his diamonds is probably a less successful, you mm-hmm. know, because you can, you know, by narrowing where where the, the nub goes, you make yourself both stronger, um, potentially, or more vulnerable, mm-hmm. potentially. So, yes, all yeah. in.
0: So, where, one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is this notion of how executives can represent the brand. So, if you're the marketing person, you better be, you're like the agency, you better be really involved in the brand. But for the other people, sometimes they sort of have a function like, well, I need to cut the costs. I need to get better factory production efficiencies and so on. So they are rather removed from the brand notion. So when you have a Richard Branson, it's quite more obvious. But for other companies like a Procter & Gamble or Unilever or whomever, to what extent do you think that the personal's own executive branding should help or be exposed or used to drive the business?
1: Um, that's a good question, and and it probably has as many answers as there are situations. I mean, I think one of the, the things that's important, taking a sort of sub-brand of a, of a multi-conglomerate, uh, is, you know, talking about the person who's having to cut costs and the person who's having to do this, is really a question of priorities. Um, I mean, one of the things that Virgin Atlantic did, going back to Virgin, was, you know, when people are watching films on, on the flights let's make it like a cinema, let's give people a free ice cream. Not particularly expensive, didn't add huge amounts to the weight, etc., but made a big statement. And I think what you have to do is to prioritise those things which support the brand over those things which don't, which might just be nice to have. Mm -hmm. Because if your brand, in the end of the day, doesn't have a personality, then there is less compelling reason why someone should buy it.
0: Well, and so then, so so goes the same for a, an executive that doesn't have personality. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to move into the world of agencies because um, in the old days, let's say the Mad Men days, the agencies played a, a, an integral part of helping do the 30-second spot, which was really the way that the driving brands or you know, ads was, was done by agencies. So the agencies now find themselves upended by this internet story, and, and upended because they can't really find the right business models, they're struggling to find that. What would you say, or how would you advise agency managers today to help drive this bribing agenda? Bribing
1: well, agenda. <coughs> I mean, one of the big things that changes that's happened since the Mad Men days is that the agencies are no longer full service, and therefore they no longer offer the media product as part of it, which means that they no longer have, across the board, a vested interest in just increasing the spend of the client because then your percentage income increases along with it. So they've had to to, to reinvent themselves. And the way in which I think the, be- the most successful agencies have done is to, rather than owning the client, which used to be the, the target for, for people like me way back when, um, agencies now have to own the customer. They have to own the insights to the customer, the way of reaching them um, and if they can do that and translate it through the magical sprinkle dust into the creative plan so that the thirty second commercial is still important, but so is their whole social media program, so is their, you know, the PPCs that they do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they're making films which, you know, like a shell might make a film about or SO about how their product works in the coldest place in the world and the hottest place in the world and the highest and the lowest and and all of those sorts of things are different ways of bringing their product proposition to life so if you if you own the customer and you know what the customer and you are the champion of that customer then i think that puts you in a much stronger position
0: so what about the role of creativity let's say there's there was in the old there is still this desire to win, win can awards and so on and and there's a an obvious desire for people who are employees working in agencies to be creative. How do you say that? How do you see that playing out today when we're talking about PPCs and efficiencies?
1: Well, I don't. Think, I mean, I think creativity is something you can apply to any walk of life. I mean, certainly you can apply it to accountancy, um, but I think it's you know, I mean, <laughs> creative creativity is it's the magic sprinkle dust that makes clients go to agencies. Because they can 't do it themselves, I mean yes, they could, anyone can write an ad, anyone can do PPC, anyone can do that, but is it any good?
0: right, so when we get these creative profiles and agencies, the creative profile is a little bit of a different beast to manage per se, as opposed to sort of like your accountant per se. So we have this challenge of of allowing the freedom of creativity, but we're also very much beholden to a stronger desire for return on investment to get the results, the PPC. And that has a a rather curtailing effect on people's sense of creativity. So it becomes difficult to manage that when you're trying to recruit great creative talent.
1: Uh, Yes and no. I mean, there used to be a saying at JWT when I was there, which was, you know, give me the freedom of a tight brief. And the tighter it gets, actually, the more creative you have to be, and it becomes a different sort of challenge. I mean, some of the best cigarette advertising ever uh, happened once it began to be regulated and once advertising was no longer allowed. Um, I don't even remember the CDP or the silk cut ads and, and sure. whatever. Were you know it was just silk cut, and uh, was really effective at branding and whatever. But that was working within a much narrow confines Um, and I always think it's a bit like you know you're buying a house I mean if you've got all the money in the world it must be actually more difficult to find the perfect house than if you've only got you've got limited because then you're buying the best Mm -hmm. that you can within within your price range and it's a bit the same it's looking to it's looking for a central idea which belongs both to the product and to the consumer and which can manifest itself in a 30-second TV commercial, a radio spot, a poster, or a PPC ad, and that they have a relationship with each other.
0: All right, so to the extent that we have, as you said at the beginning of our our chat, so many more different access points and media points, this renders the job more complex for an agency. Do you think that the agencies, these big agencies, are the right model, or do you look for splitting down the expertises? How would you... Configure your own agency if you had to create yours today Simon which of course i 'm not expecting you to do, but what would, you, what would you how would you start that
1: thought well what what 's been interesting is um, and this is not from any detailed analysis this is just uh, from an impression is that by and large the big agencies have continued to prosper but what is interesting has there have been some new agencies that emerged into the big league from Verita, you know adam and Eve for example mm-hmm. um, you know started uh, an amazingly short time ago and now are huge and win huge amounts of awards um, I think the, the difficult thing in scale is always is maintaining the control and the talent and the discipline mm-hmm. um, whether you're an army or an advertising agency and um, I think, you know, what What a lot of clients need from an agency is not just the creativity, although that's what they go in thinking they're buying. They also need the management and the machine that mm-hmm. delivers everything and is in control of the process from start to finish. So it's. I don't think there's any particular one size is better than another size. Um, very much depends on the people mm-hmm. and their approach to their client's business.
0: Well, so, I, I mean, just... Arking back to this notion of branding, so JWT, as we spoke about and you know, has a, had a particular sort of style of branding in the world of agencies. <clears throat> Do you think agencies also need to be thinking of their own branding in the same way? Or is it difficult, I mean, almost commoditized to have that difference?
1: I mean, that's a very good question, and I can't pretend to know the answer to it. The, um, I mean, the most difficult ad ever in the world to produce by a country mile was the house ad. <clears throat> Because everyone had an opinion, and every you know and it 's like twelve people don't decide how to decorate a room. it was just never going never going to work um, and What is interesting about agencies is by and large they have the same people in them moving around, right. and yet they have very very different cultures i mean I went from J. Walter Thompson at one point for two years to Abbott Mead vickers, which had quite a lot of ex j w t people in very different cultures. Not that one culture is necessarily better or than another but that they are different and therefore actually they get different things out of different people so i think the culture of uh one advertising agency versus another is is very important and quite strong how they brand themselves tends to be less less interesting i mean a lot of you know uh, is this agency good or that agency is a reputational thing it's new business it's creative awards it's
0: it's, it's funny, but I mean, it's, it's sort of like the cobbler wearing poor shoes. Yeah. That, that is one of their fundamental roles, is to build brands for brands, and yet they don't really know how to do it for themselves. Because,
1: they don't, because one of the difficulties of being an advertising agency is, what are you? Um, I mean, Jeremy Bullmore, who was chairman of JWT for many years, said, um, you know, running an advertising agency is the management of chaos. You have a product which you don't know what it looks like, you don't know how much it will cost, you don't know how long it would take to produce, you don't know whether it'll work. You know, I mean, that's not, that's not a classic business model.
0: No, and so where this takes me, since we're based in London, is the, the finance sector, because they, they share a, some similarities in that the, they have personnel that jumps from one to the other, and they're all basically flogging a, a product which, in the end of the day, really isn't theirs, and the markets, which they don't control, I mean, <laughs> arguably anyway, and and they too suffer from a lack of strong branding, I mean, and they have different cultures, but then from the outside, they all sort of tend to look the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, this is a huge generalization, obviously, but I think by and large, the financial uh, service industry has done an appalling job on branding, mm. um, not least because, you know, you take out a pension with someone, and then when you come to look at it, they've not only change their name, they've been sold three times, passed on, you've got no idea you know, and how do you how do you organise it, and I think where you um, where you get brands which were quite strong like uh, Egg uh, like um, um, I'm sort of having a sort of mind blank at the moment, but the um, you know, they really stick out Mm -hmm. Um, so much doesn't stick out because it's just the same They've got a figure saying that their interest rates are higher yeah, or lower. Yeah. They've got the red of this or the blue yeah, of that.
0: Some logo. And
1: but no personality.
0: That's for sure. So this leads us into the other conversation which had in Amsterdam, which was about this notion of purpose and, and, and its role in driving a brand's success. To what extent do you think that purpose is important and how would you define purpose in this context?
1: I think purpose is incredibly important. Um, how would I define it? I define it by saying you have to encapsulate what you want the personality of your brand to be. Because if you don't do that, then you have nothing to aspire to, you have nothing to measure uh, what you do by anything other than did it work. And did it work is a good short-term measure, but not a good long-term brand-building measure. So uh, if you don't, you know, so where I would start with any brand is what does it stand for? What are the um, attributes that we need to uh, enhance in order to, to be the brand it wants to be?
0: And when we're talking about this encapsulation, to what extent do the employees have to be living this purpose that is uh, ostensibly for the customer that's buying the service or the product.
1: Um, well, hopefully, I mean that's 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 when it work- That's when it works best when the, when the employees buy into making it what the customers want it to be. Um, and certainly in Virgin, you know, there was this, you know we have to do it. We have you know customer service, for example. Um, when we originally set up Virgin Games, because we didn't have enough uh, money, we had to sub- <laughs> subcontract out. Uh, our customer service and that was just a nightmare not because they did it badly because they didn't do it like the Virgin way. they didn't do it in the Virgin tone of voice they didn't do it with the Virgin enthusiasm they didn't do it with the Virgin we really care um, you know and we had people in our customer service singing songs to people on the, <laughs> over right. the line because they wanted you know because it was just part of being something different and something that's absolutely on the customer side and right. You know, these are the call center people. We had them in house, not tucked away in um, in India or somewhere, mm-hmm. um, because we wanted them, we had them in the center of the building because they had to understand everything. And they weren't particularly well paid, but they absolutely right. they were in. They mm-hmm. got on board. Yeah.
0: So then, this certainly back to the conversation we had earlier about like the P and Gs of the world, where they not everybody in the brand is only of that brand. Then, in that case, they, there's a challenge for them, like customer service or other areas which tend to be homogenized to express the brand.
1: Yeah, I mean, but the, you know, if you take a look at uh, Kraft, who I used to look after when you had Philadelphia Cheese, you had Dairy Dunkers, you had Kenco Coffee. I mean, there was a whole, and they were different brands <clears throat> with different personalities. And, and you know, and Kraft, you spend a lot of time trying to get inside the mind of each of its particular right. brand variants. In order that it could express it, both in advertising and in packaging and in in, in all sorts of things, and that's really what you I mean. You, you know, like as an advertising practitioner years ago, I would go from you know I'd be working on De Beers and I could also be working on Ladbrokes and P&O Ferries and right. You know, so I have to get my head round the, each brand, each brand, and so it's not you know it's. N- Providing you recognize it as an important thing to do, it's not a difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. It, that's what I mean about prioritizing. It, right. ju- it has to be up there at the top.
0: Mm. All right, so speaking of priorities, I'm imagining, Playzula. So tell us about Playzula, this new startup you're running and founding. <coughs> well,
1: Playzula is a, is a very interesting concept. What it is, it's, it's effectively pooled betting. So it's a sort of social gaming uh, platform whereby you're asked to uh, predict a number of outcomes of things that will take place, say, in a football match. Um, when will be the first corner? How many saves in the second half or whatever? And depending on the accuracy of your predictions, you get points, and depending on how many points you are, you get, you pair on the leaderboard, you get you get cash prizes. Um, and what's really interesting about that for me is one um, that in order to win you don't need to be right you just need to be righter than everybody else Mm -hmm. or alternatively less wrong than everybody else who's playing in that game there are no bookies, there are no odds it gives you an interest in the game you're watching right up until the end Um, and it's about, as much about bragging rights as it is about winning cash and it's where, from a marketing point of view it's the intersection of where traditional betting meets sort of fantasy betting and there's this big, you know, with a strong social input. And the, there is a space there which is currently empty. And, you know, Playzula games are not, you know, it's like a poker room in a sense. You can join a £1 game or a £2 game or a £5 game, whatever. So you don't have to invest a lot to, uh, to get the maximum enjoyment out of it. And it's not like traditional betting where you do an accumulator, first one goes down, that's it. You know, you can lose and still win.
0: And I, so I assume then that there's this is a, an adult-only game. There's no environment that's moneyless in a sense. You you are focused on the betting. There is money coming in, and it's got to be adults only.
1: Yes, it's. I mean, it's obviously it's eighteen-year-old uh, plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gaming, not gambling, mm-hmm. in the sense that there are no odds, and it's technically a game of skill so it has great opportunities to go into overseas jurisdictions which mm-hmm. gambling products don't um it has great opportunities to embrace communities so you could be watching a football game with 10 mates at home you could set up your own private game to do that uh which means that everyone pays which That's <laughs> good. Uh, you can do that as companies you can do that as the football supporters club you can create all these, sorts of, which just needs to bring players together and compete against each other. Um, and obviously with scale comes more, more profit, but, but play Zula doesn't care who wins.
0: So I'm thinking that, listening to you, there must be really a lot of development on the platforms and the usages because to the extent that you have 10 mates around you, what is the, the method that they're going to... How are they going to interface with it? Is it on a laptop? Is it on a desktop? Are they 10 mobiles? How, what kind it, of interface are you looking for? Well, I
1: mean, uh, it's been built for mobile um, and tablet but, but works equally well on PC. What, one of the things that, that PlayZo has is the facility to create your own game. So you can create a game... Uh, you call it what you want you decide maybe that you're going to have this prize structure or, or winner takes all you say it's going to be a £5 game and then you, there on on the, the platform you can invite by email, by Facebook, by Twitter any of your friends you want and only they can join so you create a private game um, and it takes about two minutes well that's very cool
0: so, in terms of the games, then we're still talking about specific types of games because I have to imagine that there's an arbiter that helps identify when the first corner was, how many kicks people. How does that work?
1: That is, well, each of the sports has uh, a recognized and uh, authoritative independent arbitrator. I mean, mm-hmm. Nice <laughs> snappy phrase. Uh, <laughs> football is provided by OPTA. I mean, they all do the stats, they have people at all the games. And if they say it's in the 79th minute, whether you may think it's in the 70th, it doesn't really matter. They say it's the 79th minute, that's when it happens. For horse racing, it would be the press association. They would say which horse won, by how many lengths. I mean, there is an accepted wisdom. We buy into that accepted wisdom. And we don't just buy in it for the terms of verifying the results, We buy into it for providing all our players with the maximum amount of information we think they need to make the most informed decision. So, for example, uh, how many goals will there be? You press on the button by the question, and it will produce it between West Ham and Tottenham. It will produce all the goals West Ham have scored this season and their last five matches. The same with Tottenham Mm -hmm. who the scorers are, when they've been, you know, it'll give you all the information about goals. Um, so, we don't care who wins. We're just an enabler, and we make uh, our money on an admin fee from the number of games that people enter. Enter.
0: So, Simon, um, PlayZula is coming out in August, as I think you said before. What um, What's your plan to get it out? Are we Are we talking different markets? Is it global? And how are you trying to get it out?
1: It's um, we're concentrating on the UK because that's where we have our, our license from the Gambling Commission to, to operate. Um, we're using uh, a, a digital mobile agency called Somo, who are very good. Um, and we're not going uh, to launch with a big bang. We're going to uh, do a lot of sort of testing uh, in the first few weeks. So, probably in uh, August, we'll spend you no know, more than 30,000. Um because what we need to do is to refine everything, we need to refine the messages and and what 's working with whom and before we start um committing larger sums of money I mean one of the advances of marketing these days is actually reaching the people you want isn 't very difficult. reaching them at the right moment with the right messages is where the skill has. Has, has uh has arrived and so we need to do a lot of work and a lot of sort of refinement and and um, optimization to make sure we get it we get a plan uh the aim is um in time is to uh to be on television um particularly around all the sporting events that that we're showing mm-hmm. um which is obvious and and is more expensive but again we need to we need to have got our sort of house in order first right
0: get some critical mass and and get them speaking get some history some under your belt so you understand the usages because presumably to the extent that you're saying that the users can do whatever they want you're going to experience or or learn that there are oh I hadn't thought about that
1: inevitably inevitably Um, we did run uh, a sort of beta test uh, for about a year which was stopped in January of last year which was a very clunky product but the same principle um, uh, and that had, um, for those who, who came on, about 6,000 players registered in the end and they probably wagered over a million pounds together and uh, probably no more than 40 grand was spent on advertising mm. um, and it was pretty serendipity uh, marketing approach. But the average stake per user per month was £807. Pounds. Mm-hmm. And the principle behind that is not that they deposited £807, but it's a bit like when you go to a roulette table, you may buy 100 chips, you put some on here, you put some on there, you win some back, you lose some, you win some, and two hours later you've got nothing and you've lost £100. But actually, you, during that process, you probably would have gambled in total 1000 mm-hmm. And we make the money from people entering games, not from the deposit right, withdrawal um, so uh, that's why critical mass is, is really important um, and that's why just being completely on the side of the consumer and customer you know, we are the customer's friend, we want everyone to win <laughs> that 's good I mean they can 't, but well everyone to have a good time anyway around, so, yeah. right, so um,
0: last question then on that. What about the, the future or at least other countries are you looking to explore the United States and their love of football i mean that 's soccer, or other countries around the world
1: uh, very much we 're looking to do that I mean because as I said earlier we 're gaming not a gambling site, and because it 's a, a game of skill and because it 's a competition rather than the than a betting we have the ability to operate in a lot of jurisdictions that traditional gambling companies wouldn't uh, certain states in the US uh, India China um now in those jurisdictions we may not be able to offer cash as the prize they may be goods uh, and services um but nevertheless you know i mean there's one site in india which has 5 million you know players every every week and the top prize is uh, is uh, a baseball cap. <laughs> so, you know, if we could introduce, you know, cars, even houses, holidays, a whole host of things, uh, we think we could get a huge amount of traction.
0: All right. So how does someone uh, get, get signed up for PlayZulu when it comes out?
1: Uh, they go to PlayZulu.com.
0: All right. Well, I'll put that in the show notes. And how about someone who would like to get in touch with you or, or follow what you're up to? Simon?
1: Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm not running a blog uh, or anything at the moment, but... Um, they can always get hold of me on simon at simonburridge.com. Brilliant, Simon, thanks for coming on the show. Good luck with everything and good luck with Playzula.
0: Thank you very much. Good to talk to you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's painted fingers
2: oh fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self Just cringe, Joe. Oh, I wouldn't care